one-day contract. The Panthers Talk Show, where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. But everyone's getting ready for London, so no one wanted to hang out with us today. Welcome to Zero Day Contract, a proud part of the Riot Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Check out some of our network mates. It is what it is. The Roaring Riot Podcast, Not What You Think, and the Carolina Line for more great talk about your favorite team. Follow the Riot Network on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, and love us wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Nikki Wolf. Don't worry, the boys are here today. Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and still thinks Kyle Allen should be carrying a ball around all week like he's in the program. When when you see your quarterback get sacked and he goes to the ground and you clap because you're excited that he did not fumble, we, we may have a bit of an Achilles heel, but we're working on it. We're working on it. I did actually cheer out loud yeah. and say, yeah, he kept it. Hey, held on to it. There we go. There Step we go. in the right direction. When both the quarterback and the coach make a joke about him fumbling on the first drive, it's like, guys, let's maybe like Let's let's do some things where he doesn't have like let's make this a little bit better before we joke about it. It's like too fresh, you know? It's too, not quite we're not quite three, ready for three it. Three in a row, baby. <laughs> there we go. It's never Absolutely. too soon. Never Start too soon. Start him. That voice you hear right there, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co host of It Is What It Is, thought Steve Smith's jersey reveal was a top ten moment in Panthers history. Yeah, it absolutely was. I think it, when you go back, it's like the Chad Coda interception. Um, and that's it, right? That's Chad Code interception and Steve Smith saying, uh, I thought that I'd wear the Jersey one. Like, cause when he said, I thought I could wear the, I never thought I'd wear this Jersey again, but then I thought I would wear it one last time in my mind. I was like, Oh, he's got the Jersey on. Like it immediately clicked of like, Oh, he's got the Jersey on and things are going to happen. And literally in the press box, there was like a gasp when he pulled the jacket off because it was like, oh, it's happening. It's hat. Like you wanted to like call people back from the hot dog buffet. Come on back. Smitty's, Smitty's wearing a jersey. And then for it to be the Super Bowl jersey, I mean, it's like a perfect moment. It just crushed it. That was the key to me was that it wasn't just a jersey. It was the Super Bowl jersey. That, that elevated. It wasn't like he got convinced in the tunnel moments before, like, all right, let's just do this thing. No. He thought about it. He had the right jersey. That was definitely a cool moment. Yeah, and then also to throw in the... It wouldn't be Steve Smith without him being like, and also retire this 89. Like, let's stop messing around and not giving it to any... Like, how many years can go by without anybody wearing the 89 before it's like, all right, just retire it. Like, it's... Nobody's going to get it. So let's just put it up in the rafters or in the... There are no rafters up there, right? I'm not... I'm not a not not yet. not 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 maybe if if Mr. Tepper gets us in a closed door meeting there will be they're just going to put rafters over the top <laughs> of it no dome just rafters and then hang 189 and then one like attendance record and uh and playoff participant 8 and 0 home record <laughs> 1990 Do you think that Tep Dog like during that moment was like so if we had the dome right now Think about all these things we could be doing. We could hang that they up right there. Drop down some eight, an 89 and then a, a loudest cheer banner. I'm trying to think of like some other terrible things that people have put in the rafters. <laughs> the Hornets put up like a, a most a highest attendance record, right? That yeah. was up there in Charlotte Coliseum for a while. Yes. That was like their claim to fame that they had sold out 
this many games in a row and in like 1989 had the top attendance in the league. And then they got screwed by the Minnesota Timberwolves who were playing in the uh, Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. Wow. And decided, decided to start giving away tickets for free to try and beat the Hornets. And then they ended up becoming the first team to top a million in attendance. The Hornets were near a million back then, back in the day, and they used their free tickets to steal our thing. So that's yeah. like the like people that bands that give away a free uh, album with their ticket sales. So like if you buy a ticket to the Kenny Chesney or what's another country artist Luke Combs, did I get him? That, Is that a person? Yes. Yeah, very, all right, very good. Or like the Brian Chesterfield concert, and it's like get a free copy of. Uh, my horse likes my truck. The my new album. The, the new album. <laughs> by Johnny Pemberton. And and it's like buy a ticket to the, the Cold Beer and Brew Dogs tour and get a free copy of my album. And then Via it's like num- and then the first week it comes out, whatever however many tickets you sold, every single one gets a free album. Boom, you're number one on the charts, and then Cold Beer and Brew Dogs is the number one album in the country. I would listen to that album. Yeah, it sounds good. Absolutely. I'm interested. Absolutely. Um, so I can't introduce the guests because the chair is empty. So I'm just so gonna, sad. I'm going to thank you guys for showing up today. You're well, we are, we are recording this in London, and unfortunately the travel budget just didn't, you know, for you know the, the local media people, they just can't afford to get over here. Not right at all. Was that Big Ben? Yeah, yeah, just off in the background. Big Ben striking in the background? Oh, people are going to know that it's 5 o'clock right now here in London. It's awkward. Mark down the time, Nikki. That's that's when the the bell tolled. When the bell tolled. Very well done, though. That's them walking across London Bridge. I just tapped the microphone. (laughs) You guys are really Re- good at painting a picture, by the way. Recording from live atop the eye in London. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, we're derailing already. Let's go to my super important question. Panthers, Hall of Honor. We just welcomed in the first class. Yes. Who would you put in the next class? Well, I've actually been thinking about this. I think it's kind of like whenever you talk about the Hall of Honor, you want to you you kind of jump to that next class. Not that you don't want to celebrate Jake and Smitty and, and Jordan and, and Wesley Walls. Um, by the way, missed opportunity for Wesley Walls to not do the shotgun celebration after they had entered him into the Hall of Honor. Like, what are you doing, dog? Like, that now's your, like Steve Smith was ready for his moment, and Wesley Walls is out here just thanking his family and the fans. Come on. Come on. Well, do you, But do you think do you think Wesley would have possibly gotten any blowback for it? I don't think so. I mean, because that that to me is why he wouldn't have right. Like if yeah, because if he was if he played a guitar as his as his Super Bowl or his touchdown celebration, he's playing the guitar up there. Like you know, like if that was his thing, like Smitty couldn't do a celebration because he'd be up there for the entire halftime doing all of his. <laughs> but like he had a he had a thing, and you know it was just for hunting. But mm, I, I think I think oh that do you think oh you mean I like think, like shotgun related he would have gotten some blowback yeah from it. I think he oh. did, I think he different day and yeah. age I, I didn't even think about yeah, that I think I think he just kept the the firearm sheathed for that reason <laughs> in this day and age you sheath, I think he would have been okay a shotgun yeah he would have been okay but I feel like you could say that but then you're the guy that has to make a shotgun action 
in a day and age when it's like, are we doing this anymore? Yeah. All right, that's fair. Well, um, he's like, I don't. I just don't need that. I'll just just cross. (laughs) I'm retired. I'll just cross off the NRA section that I have for my (laughs) for the in the third act of one day contract. I I don't think, by the way, that that they need to do a class every year. There's not enough to do a class. No, I agree. I agree. This was a nice build up from some time. You know, so you do it often enough, then Burson's gonna get in at some point. You know it. Well, if you do it too. Too much. You're going to get to D'Angelo Williams real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's got a lot of records that Christian McCaffrey is slowly breaking all of them, but he did have a lot of records. One by one. Brenton Burson shops at the Mall of Honor. That's pretty good. Is that good? Is that a shirt? I like that. I would wear that shirt. Yeah, the Mall of Honor. Um, I think for me, so this one seemed very offensively, offensive-centric, offense-centric, and I was trying to think of defensive players that you would put in. And I think there are two that jumped to my mind quickly. And then there were a few others that um, didn't quite make the list for me. I think I would I would put three guys into the Hall of Honor next, and they would be Julius Peppers, Nebraska's own Mike Minter, and John Casey. I think John Casey deserves to be in the Hall of Honor. Uh, I don't think very often that you put in a – uh, a special teams guy, but I think he is certainly, I mean, how many times my friends and I referred to the Panthers as the Carolina Casey's for like a really long time because they were so, when it was like Jimmy Clausen and like in the winky era when nobody, when they couldn't score any points, but they could always get three because of John Casey. And I think he represented the team really well. And so obviously Peppers is probably the most, talented player to ever put on the uniform and then I think Mike Minner just really exemplified that age of what it was to be a Carolina Panther I think you should wait two or three years put in that's the next class and then I think probably the next class you're waiting for guys like Cam and Luke maybe Greg Olson I I don't think there's another I think those are kind of those are the easy like the guys that you just are like easy peasy cross them off the list and now they're in the hall of honor and then I think now you're waiting. You you don't have as much of a backup, as much people in line that you're like, well, we got we got to have Pep in there. It's like now you're like, okay, well, we don't need to have uh, – I, I think Kevin Green was a guy that I thought about, Lamar Lathan, kind of that salt and pepper. Those guys to me I think are – Kevin Green is much more famous as a Steeler than he was as a Panther. And Lamar Lathan I think is like right on the edge. And then if you're going to let Lamar Lathan in, then – where does it stop? Sorry, Lamar, if you're listening. Well, you know, because it's the Hall of Honor, and it's not just the Hall. If it's the Hall, then you just let everybody in. The Mall of Honor. The Mall. And Lathan, Lathan is a, a deserving recipient based on the performance they had, but it was in a shorter period of time, too, and he had some issues post-career, um, which sometimes comes into play with this. One thing I do want to make clear, since this is a podcast for Panther fans, and we're talking about the Panthers Hall of Honor, no one else gets a vote. No one else gets to speak up. No one else gets to say anything. If you're not a Panther fan, it doesn't shut up and go away. Worry about your own stuff. Like too many times when pe- teams try to honor somebody, like, I can't believe they're honoring this guy. If it's not your team, it doesn't matter. This is a team recognition, and I think it's important because it allows you to. This isn't the Hall of Fame where you have to get guys in that only have X number of starts or X number of interceptions or touchdowns. This is who the fan base and who this team wants to honor i just think it's important because we're, we're trying to figure out what criteria it might be and ultimately i think it's who does this team and this fan base 
I mean, I know it's you know the, the organization's decision, but who do we want to honor? And yeah. so, like guys like Lathan and Green, I think they do have a place. Maybe they do go in as a package because their time here was short. But you know, the, the, there's different things, and I do think that that early uh, Super Bowl team does deserve recognition. I'm, I'm kind of with you. Um, I think Casey has to be on on the short list. A, a name that I included was Chris Gamble. Um, okay. Because franchise leader in interceptions. I mean, I, I know, like you're you're giving me the look. I get mm. it. But I, I, I think is fine for you me. You put it. You're putting a kicker in. So I, for <laughs> me, I think John, I think John Casey is the next guy. Like I said, Peppers and Minner first, but I think Casey is the next. Like if you're going to do one, a class of one next, I think it's John Casey. And I don't think you'd get that because I think a lot of that was uh, Casey's role in the locker room for young guys, particularly when it comes to investments and things like that. That was a role that he held for a long time. Yeah. And now, now held by JJ Jansen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's a special teams guy. Um, and, but also his relationship with Jerry is something that no longer carries as much weight. Um, and I think that's that, a good point. Because Jerry, Jerry when, when Casey finally left the team, Jerry said it was the hardest decision he ever had to make when, when Casey was finally done here. So um, I, I agree with you, Peppers. What kind of, what kind of timeline, timeline do, we, do we look at? Because I think the next name that I say – is similar in that's Jay Stu. I think Jay Stu would be, mm. and I think he yeah. is. He is. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I think he is the most underrated and underappreciated player from the 2015 team. Because okay. do right. we know things like that, like time frame? We or get to make it up. Factors, you get to make it up. Or, oh, okay. that's what I'm saying. Is this is this is about this fan base, this team? Nobody. Else, if you're a Steeler fan, you don't get a voice. I feel Sorry, like, no. and I could be wrong. I think that Tepper said they have to be. He kind of like said it offhand, like they got have to be retired for a couple seasons because I think people were kind of when they were talking about expanding the Hall of Honor, people immediately were like, "Well, Pep just retired." Like he's right. got to be in, yeah. and I think he and I think he kind of was like pump the brakes on that a little bit. So I think a couple seasons, but I think to me again, I think that's the next class. I think I think well, I don't know, maybe not. But what about Brad Hoover? That's the name that we didn't didn't say. I love it. I mean, for as much as the Luke chant is beloved in that stadium, it was a Hoove chant before then, and this is a guy that filled a lot of roles. Um, another local guy like Pep that, you know, we've seen grow up in this state. I, I think he is absolutely the type of guy that a team should um, and would want in their Hall of Honor. I did the Hoove yell in the middle of a furniture store today because <laughs> my mover that came to pick up my couch told me how Hooventude? he moved him recently. <laughs> Hooventude? Your, your mover Hooventude came yes. up? Yes, <laughs> yes. So everyone at the furniture store had no idea what was going on. I kind of hope someone would join me, but they, they didn't know. Well, it's like when you think about these iconic moments in Panthers history, there's a few of them, obviously. There's Steve Smith revealing that he was wearing a jersey at the Hall of Honor induction. Uh, there's the Chad Cohn interception. There's probably the Brad Hoover Monday night game is is like on the list for me. The Steve Berline, Crazy Legs Berline, mm-hmm. QB sneak. Like these, these are like iconic plays, obviously X-Clown, like these – iconic plays in Panthers history and I think that Brad Hoover is kind of on that list and when you think about who's on that list that's that to me is at least how you start making your getting your ideas for who goes into the Hall of Honor now whether or not Brad Hoover ultimately makes it that I I think he kind of is like one of those guys maybe is 
uh, you know, others receiving votes style. But he can fill in the class. He can fill in the Pep class. Like he's not going to headline. Like Pep's going to headline his class. He's going to need some other people in his class with him. I think who's that type of guy? I would put what the other only other name I had was Charles Johnson. And I yeah. think it's probably a little bit too early, you know, based on our assumption that it's you know a couple years away. But um, he would be the only other name that I put on there. That's fair. That's fair. Well, if you want to hear your super important question. I mean, you got to send us one. And you know how you send it? You leave us a review and put it right there. And we'll do it on the show. I get tired of making up questions. Lots of people listening and not so many people leaving reviews. And I saw somebody on Twitter. I don't remember who it was, but they were like threatening with like, we're going to put our podcast behind a paywall. We're not going to put our podcast behind a paywall, but just leave a review. Just go on there and be like, "Uh, I like Josh the best. Rank who you like the best. Josh, number one. And then Um, everyone else tied for second. No. Nikki, Everyone else tied Nikki, for third. number one, and it's spelled N-I-K-K-I. Um, all right, are we ready? How about let's go right into award season. Hello, governor. Sorry, just a <laughs> passerby. Yeah, just a I, passerby in a top hat and a bowler. Yeah, uh, and for award season, for you this- uh, on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Sorry. For this segment, the boys have on tuxedos. They, they came dressed. Not since the Hornets name came back. Is that the- was, that, thought, was, that was the president's song. That was, that was Hail to Chief. the Chief. Damn it. That is not the British song. What's the British song? What, the, what long, song? the Queen. God that's, Save the Queen. That's not, what, that's not what I was trying to think of. But I was kind of hoping that you'd start singing like the graduation song. <laughs> that's what I thought was about By Vitamin C? <laughs> yes. That's exactly. Exactly. So last week on the show, we talked about if McCaffrey was – a serious candidate for the MVP. And one of the things we brought up was Mahomes. I mean, playing lights out. Let's have this conversation again now after watching that game Sunday. Yeah, I think he's all he's done now is just vault himself into the national conversation of MVP as opposed to just being in the Carolina conversation. Uh, I mean, I Googled, um, I Googled like MVP Christian McCaffrey and it's like I'm pretty sure it's the Sports Illustrated like top story right now is is Christian McCaffrey the MVP? And I get it, we're five weeks into the season, but guess what? It's a podcast. This is what we talk about is dumb stuff. And then by next week, we'll be like, wow, ah, should Reggie Bonifant be getting all the carries? Like averaging 12 yards a carry, get him on the field. Um, I think when you look at what he offers to this team, what he does for this team, yeah, absolutely, he deserves to be in the conversation. I think if he can, here's the thing. Running backs don't win MVP. It's only happened twice in the last 20 years. One of them was coached by Norv Turner, fun fact. Um, Both of them went over 2,000 total yards. Uh, I believe, actually, both of them went over 2,000 yards rushing. Um, And it was Adrian Peterson and LaDainian Tomlinson. Actually, I don't think Tomlinson went over 2,000 yards rushing. Probably not. Probably combined, right? That was the. I think that was the spectacular fantasy season. He had like a 14 or 1,600 yards rushing and then like a 1,000... Or you know, eight hundred yards of receiving. Or but the like way that. to win, the way to win MVP as a running back is a your team goes twelve and four, thirteen and three, fourteen and two, and you break some sort of record. So whether it's you have two thousand yards rushing, whether you have the most yards from scrimmage in in the history of the NFL, which I think McCaffrey certainly has a shot at, um, or something like that. That's how you win the MVP, but you cannot win the MVP by having a thousand yards rushing and 800 yards. receiving. I mean, he had that season last year and nobody even talked about him. 
Yeah, I mean, Mahomes. I mean, a week ago I said Mahomes was gonna was gonna run away with it, and now we've got two straight weeks, you know, of, of struggling for him, and now it looks like he's he's a little bit banged up. And at this point, he's at, Christian's absolutely in that conversation. I can you guys tell me a game where you have ever watched a a running back undress as many people as he did on Sunday? Yeah, it's uh, like, the- like one on one. He was routine. Like, guys were in the wrong holes by the time it was done. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I I don't know if you heard me mutter under my breath, but I, I was just looking at uh, LaDainian Tomlitz's MVP season. Uh, 348 carries, 1,815 yards, um, averaged 113 yards rushing per game, also had 500 yards receiving. Uh, he ha- I mean, just, uh, like, it's insane. Yeah, 2,300 total yards. 31 touchdowns. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't expect that number to be so high. Um, yeah, and I mean, I that's threw, how you win the MVP. And I think he threw some that year, at least through I'm one. I'm sure he did, yeah, right? He did yeah, and one, so yeah. it's like, and it's funny that when when McCaffrey pulled up to throw on that third down, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, um, it reminded me of like, oh, that's right. This is what LaDainian Tomlinson used to do is when you would get inside the 10-yard line, it was like, well, he's either... It would be like if you were playing either playing against him in fantasy football or you had him on your team, it was like the Chargers scored and you were like, well, how did Tomlinson score? It wasn't a question of what happened. It was either he ran it, he re- he caught it, or he threw it. And that happened so much that... I wonder if we're going to get to a point, maybe not next, maybe not this year. Maybe it's in a couple, maybe it's next year in a couple years, but where you're at that with McCaffrey, where every time they're inside the 10 yard line, it's just how does McCaffrey put the ball in the end zone? Not whether or not he does it. McCaffrey is playing phenomenally. Like this is what, this is what an MVP season looks like. And he is, he's, He's showing it every week. He is the best player. We've been saying it here for a while now. He's the best player on this offense. He's the best player on this team right now. And it's 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 a it's the most fun since '89 watching an offensive player. I think it feels like we were a little bit ahead of the curve because I feel like now you're hearing a lot of this subject come up either on talk radio or on kind of the national stage of like, is this Christian McCaffrey's team and not Cam Newton's team? But go back and listen to when we did our our 53 man fantasy draft. Uh, at the end of last season with John Halpin, where Chris McCaffrey went first overall when we were drafting players on the Panthers because uh, this this has already kind of been McCaffrey's team, and now it's just all it takes. Apparently, all it takes is 175 yards from scrimmage every game and three touchdowns, and people start to notice it. Is there any concern with him being taken out of the game? He had to be taken out of the game on Sunday. Is there any concern there? No, I, I think it just kind of happens. I, I mean, he's just like, I, I thought one of the things that was interesting is like, you look at his jersey and it's just like battered and bloodied and mm-hmm. dirty. And like nobody else, nobody else's jersey looks like that. It's because he just touches the ball so much. Um, I, I think that, yes, it would be nice for him to get off the field a little bit. But I think that when you have an MVP on your team, he just gets the ball every time. I mean, that's just what happens. And, you know, nobody nobody talks about how Luke Keekley plays 100% of the snaps. Nobody talks about how Kyle Allen plays 100% of the snaps. Well, I mean, certainly people talk about that. But, yeah. uh, but like, you don't – Greg Olson is on the field 100% of the time. And it's like, well, he doesn't get – he's not he's not being contacted every time. But right. neither is Chris McCaffrey. So, I think this is a guy – he's young. Get him out there. Like, I mean, they needed all 37 touches against Houston – 
did they need every single touch against um, Jacksonville? Maybe not, but maybe. I, I really you, – you mentioned, Greg, that – I, I, there's there's an opportunity there at that tight end position for anybody that is more man hurts. I mean, really, like Thomas, somebody like I feel like that is the piece. If you're going to uh, relieve a little pressure off McCaffrey, it's got to come out of that tight end position. Right now, Olson just it looks like it looks like it. You know, the old man, the old man's come come a knocking one more time to the surprise of no one because um, he just is not creating separation. And I really feel like that. That tight end, that that security blanket, and what Olsen has represented for so long, if you're going to make it easier on McCaffrey, I think it would be production out of that position. Yeah, uh, I was talking about this earlier today. Is like the Curtis Samuel breakout. Like, what's going on with that? Like, where's that? Is that getting they're not stalled? getting the ball him? Con- they're not getting him the ball consistently. Is he not and open? I, well, that unfortunately, it, it, we're we're recording this in London. Um, true. Early a day early, and the the NFL Game Pass, which they've not updated since 2011, despite managing to continually update the pricing, so that you can you can just now pick a play that is somewhere in the vicinity of the play that you actually want to see. This is what you pay a hundred dollars for. I'll, I'll get on that. How many um, pounds though? That's true. Oh. I don't know the conversion. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't even plug in my laptop because I forgot. But my rest assured, adapter. Rest assured, the NFL will gladly take those nickels too. You mentioned how Luke's on the field all the time as well. Is he in the conversation for defensive player of the year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's leading the league in tackles. Just he's the fastest player in NFL history to a thousand tackles. Like all he's doing is just like the problem with Luke Keekley is that he does it like quietly. Like he ho hum, uh, oh, seventeen tackles for Keekley, whatever. Like he needs in order. It's the same thing as with with Christian or an M, or a running back to win MVP. You need something spectacular to like jump off. The, like he has to have one of those like. 25 tackle games on national TV. Like, if he has 19 tackles against the Bucks in London, you're going to hear a lot of Luke Keekley Defensive Player of the Year buzz because so much of that is just it's just voted on by national writers and people right. that are that don't watch every game. So that's the reason why the same guys make the Pro Bowl every year, the same guys make the All Pro Team every year, is because you don't really watch. So you just assume like I don't watch. I'll be perfectly frank. I watch no other football games aside from the Panthers games and the and who they're playing and their opponents and like sometimes I'll watch tape and stuff but like I'm not going to watch this 49ers Browns Monday night game that was two nights ago which we're definitely not recording in the past uh I'm going to go home and have a nice dinner with my wife and I'm going to read about it on Twitter and read about it later. And then when somebody's like, well, who do you want to vote for, for a wide receiver? I'll be like, well, Odell Beckham's having a good year. Look at his stats. I haven't watched any Browns games. That's not true. I have watched some Browns games, but you know what I'm saying? That does that make sense? Yep. You were all over on both sides. That's how I do it. Yep. And I think with Keekly, it's been impressive too. Week two, it felt like he was all over the field. Like it was just like, they kept calling Keekly, Keekly, Keekly. But then these past couple weeks, He's not been as much, but but other guys are making plays because they're being set up by Luke. So his influence isn't just in comes in the form of tackles like you were referencing, but his ability to get those guys firing. And I firmly believe that the reason they're having success with as many young guys as they are in this front seven, particularly with the pass rush at times, is because Luke Keekley is the one that's firing those firing those guys. Cheers. <laughs> somebody from the somebody from the crowd agreed with you. It's weird. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that was weird. Uh, 
what was weird that some dude, some British guy yelled cheers because we're in London? Nope, not at all. On location. Not at all. Completely normal. Do the national riders, do they know about Brian Burns yet? I think so. I mean, I think a a touchdown like that really helps. And when you look at what he's done over the first five games, like the stats are just incredible. Like besides the fact that he has two blocked punts, uh, three and a half sacks. Now he has a fumble recovery for a touchdown and a forced fumble. Like, I mean, he's just racking up the stats. And when you look at, it's the same thing, right? You kind of have to be a, you have to be a name that people recognize, or you have to have stats that are just, that are out of the gym or, and you almost have to be a first round pick. Because I think when you look at people that are like, well, who do you think is the defensive rookie of the year? A lot of people are like, well, Nick Bosa. It's like, well, Nick Bosa has four tackles in five games. But because he was an early pick, everybody's like, oh, well, Bosa, he's probably pretty good, right? I'm not watching a lot of 49ers games, so I just assume he's good. I think that if, obviously, five games in, but like, he's got to be in, he's got to be in the talk about it. And that's really all that counts. He's definitely part of the discussion. We'll see. I mean, it, it, scores like this, they're hard to, you know, get another one. Like it, it happens. Right. And if it happened in week 13, would that be better for his case? Potentially, you know. Probably. What about Ross Cockrell? Could he be a candidate for comeback player? I think uh, no. Um, mostly because comeback player of the years tend to be more famous than Ross Cockrell is. You wouldn't you would have known that name last season. Yeah, exactly. You would have been like, oh, Ross Cockrell's out for the year, but like nobody really. I mean, right. I, I think he is play, maybe playing at a, at a level. I don't, I don't even know if that's the case. I don't even know who would be up for comeback player of the year right now. But, I mean, you look at who's won it. Like, didn't An- Andrew Luck has won it recently? Yes. Andrew Luck, Keenan Allen, Jordy Nelson, Eric Berry, Rob Gronkowski, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, Matthew Stafford. Ross Cockrell doesn't really fit into those names. Yeah, no. <laughs> just on just on the length of uh, the names alone, you're like, mm, I was feeling good about Ross, and then you list that name, like, ah, but maybe not. Who would win it? Who who's been who's had a who's had a real nice comeback year this year? I don't even know. Somebody get hurt that was uh, that missed all of last year that you're like, oh well, welcome back, Cotter. I feel like there's probably an obvious answer that some people there's are listening like, to. Right? Right? Someone's like, screaming there, in their car right now. A quarterback oh, or. Uh, uh, Watt. Jimmy Garoppolo. Did maybe? Watt come back oh, again? Jimmy G. Yeah. Jimmy yeah. G in the power of three. Handsome That's what I Jimmy. call him. Yep. You know. Okay, now this one's going to be a little weird because just last week it was like, hey, he could get fired this season or he's going to break the win record. Ron Rivera for coach of the year. Is that something that can happen? I have a question. Uh-oh. Um, we have answers. What record, what record do you think that Ron Rivera would have to have in order to be in the conversation for coach of the year. Now, let me just go ahead and say one thing. Frank Reich is probably going to win coach of the year if they make the playoffs, but let's say that the Colts don't make the playoffs. Agreed. I don't think it matters the record. I think it matters that they win the NFC South. I think Mm, that's the deciding factor. What if they go 14 and two the hard way and the saints go 15 and one, then Sean Payton's probably coach of the year. Now the Rivera (laughs) since Rivera got the 15 and one, coach of the year award and and does that like the new bar for him though to get it like you know how belichick doesn't get it because oh well yeah you could certainly be in the conversation every year well you look at what they're where they're at right now i mean obviously cam played in the first two games of the season who knows when he's going to come back theoretically he he will but maybe he won't i mean not to mention the fact that you have now started 
three different players at left tackle in the past three weeks, all games that you've won, by the way, including two rookies, a second rounder and a sixth rounder. And you've gone into Houston and won. You got into Arizona, which is not that impressive. You've beaten Jacksonville, which theoretically people said were were contenders. You're the winningest coach in Panthers franchise history. I, I mean, again, five weeks into the season, we're just spitballing. But, like, uh, it's weird. We did go from, in the span of 13 days, we went from Ron Rivera literally being having the best odds to be the first coach fired to now being like, I mean, look at what Rivera's doing with Kyle Allen at the helm and and a, a patchwork offensive line. I mean, it's it is it is kind of impressive that he just keeps on winning. This dynamic defense, I mean, it, it is is a revelation for me. I mean, they obviously you have games where they're not stopping people to the level you'd want to, but they continue to be dynamic and getting guys and being able to make plays and make turnovers. To me, that's that for a defensive head coach, like if if I if I'm going to go down, that's how I'd you know like, that's how I'd want to go down with having having a defense like that. And they, they've they impressed me. I think Rivera's work on the defensive side for, for a unit that last year, you know, we're, we're the, the D.C.'s getting replaced. We're making some changes. You know, Ron's taking ownership. This year has, has been um, has been a lot better. Of course, maybe it has something to do with the, some of the opponents they face, too. Um, to this sure, point. but I mean, uh, you, you can only you can only you only play who you face. Only play who you face, and I mean, you look at what they did to Houston in Houston, than what Houston did last week. So it's like you kind of, and not to mention the Bucks, the Bucks, you know, losing by six to the Bucks, who went out and tagged fifty five on the Rams. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look as bad as maybe you thought it did originally. So I think that. Um, yeah, I, I think that when you look at what he's doing from a defensive side of the ball, again, defensive head coach, he's calling the plays. He instituted this new defense that they haven't really been using at all. Um, it, I mean, it all kind of adds up. And obviously, they're three and two right now. So if they go, you know, if they go three and thirteen the hard way, then they're, he's probably not going to be coach of the year. But if they go ten and six, eleven and five, win the NFC South. Stranger things have happened. Marvin Williams, the only coach since 2009 to win with a 10 and six record, so it'll probably you'd probably need to be 11 and five or higher, especially with you know Mahomes. We've, he'll probably get back on the uh, you know and, and read and um, if they get, they get things figured out. Did Andy out there. win it last year? Who won Coach of the Year last year? Oh, that yeah, would I feel be like you've got Matt, that up. Matt Nagy. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. He just rode Trubisky all the way to that award, right? Mm-hmm. And I was riding Chase Daniel right to where you can ride Chase Daniel to. <laughs> the CVS? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Mall of Honor? <laughs> um, here's one that was just submitted by someone from uh, the crowd here in London. Josh Klein for best podcaster. What? I accept. Now, first of all, nice play the play my music. Nikki, I'll... you and I, were we were nominated as a, as a duo for this award. Josh, though, somehow got nominated separately. I... It's kind of like how they, they nominate like Morgan Freeman for Best Supporting Actor, but he was probably Best Actor, but they thought that he had a better shot at it. That's why. That's why. Oh, oh Beyonce over here leaving <laughs> Destiny's Child. <laughs> I do keep hot sauce in my bag. <laughs> how about, who do you think is the most underrated player in these first five weeks? 
I was gonna say Chris Hogan, and then he got hurt. Uh, <laughs> Chris Hogan, he did. He contributed a lot more than I ever thought he would. I mean, sure. I, I, I said all along I didn't think he was gonna make this team, and I'm uh, now it's like, dang, why did he have to go and get hurt? He was, he was doing nice. Yeah, things. Yeah, he was doing some things. I liked him. Um, most underrated player uh, from this stretch. I got I, one. How about Dontari Poe? Is he underrated? I mean, I think it's a guy that doesn't get the stats. Um, I mean, all he does is just occupy double teams and pushes guys into the backfield. And not every one of them can be Mario Addison pushing Andrew Norwell directly into Gardner Minshew's mustache. It has to be sometimes you just occupy space and you let the other guys run behind you. And I think that one of the big reasons for them getting 14 sacks or now they're up to 20 on the season uh, has to do with a guy like that taking up space, getting push, and not allowing because – Usually, I mean, Rivera said it a bunch of times. When when a quarterback scrambles out, it's because he doesn't have anywhere to go up the middle. And when he scrambles out and gets rocked by Brian Burns, it's because Dontari Poe was right there in the middle. I'll go on the other side, similar similar vein though. I think Paradis, um, and in, in the middle of that line, the performance. I mean, because really, it's 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 not just about his individual performance, but the fact that we've lost Ryan Khalil, we've lost our starting quarterback, and yet. Christian McCaffrey looks like an MVP candidate, mm-hmm. and we've been, you know, the rotating guard there at left tackle. Um, to me, keeping that offensive line, and maybe he's, maybe I'm just picking him because he's the center. You know, I mean, but uh, I really think the offensive line and the, and the lack of a fall off from losing Khalil has been vital. To the center goes the spoils. That's how it goes, right? Correct. <laughs> you don't have to hang me out to dry on every joke. You could just go along with me sometimes. Yeah, what, what he does, though, is he. You also could have nominated us track. to be a part of the best podcast, but no, that wasn't. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> just bed, best podcaster. I can't control the nominations, all right? I can't control the how throne they come in. you now sit in. With the big dog stitching in the back is a bit much. Well, we are uh, and, in London, and the fact that you flew it, you know, over to, to London just shows your commitment. He sits on a throne of lies. Mm. We all know that now. <laughs> Any other awards you guys would hand out? Um, I would hand out some good awards. I would hand okay. out um, uh, most quotable would be uh, our f- good friend Trey Boston. Usually, uh, Dante Jackson would occupy that, but. Um, Trey Boston really like he's not scared to say some stuff and obviously they wired him up but like yeah he he has some things to say and I do think there's a value to that in the secondary is having a guy that's kind of yappy and 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 chatty and talking smack to the quarterback and to the other wide receivers and it's not gonna be Eric Reed I mean Eric Reed is he's silent but deadly nope all right sorry uh (laughs) don't listen sorry Eric that I described you like a fart. Um, <laughs> he went back for it. But he is uh, – he might actually be well, a guy that's put an underrated player. He's actually thinking about I, it. He's actually – I had an, an award um, for Eric, um, which is the most complicated relationship I currently have with the Carolina Panther, and that would be Eric Reed. Yeah, because Because, uh, I mean, on some plays – you did exactly what you want. Right. The, the hard hitting safety. On other times, other times that chicken wing comes out, and you're like, "Man, come <laughs> on, Eric!" And it's like, "I just want to criticize your chicken wing, but no, I can't do that." I had him as my most underrated. I didn't want to say it because I was like, "Well, maybe they don't consider him underrated because of who he is or what's going on." But I feel like he's oh, underrated. I mean, he's based on my rating for him. He's definitely got room to be underrated because like, I've, I've been a guy that's been critical of him. I, you know, this was a guy that they found off the street, middle of the. 
the season last year. They re-signed him. You know, even Boston, I, I was critical of the fact that I felt like they could have done a little bit more trying to dig through this safety position that they've never really um, committed to fully in terms of, you know, draft picks or uh, financially. And Reed has made plays, and then he's also made plays that were, were maddening, which is, you know, pretty much like every other safety. Yeah, I mean, that's that's par for the course, literally right. par for the course for safeties. Like, I mean... It, it... But he you know, has been. But mistakes. he has made plays. Like I, I can't sit here and, and as a guy that was ready to move on from him and put anybody else back there, um, because I, you know, the, the hard hitting, not wrapping up thing that he, he does sometimes. I've, I've been critical of that. Um, but he Ooh, has boy, been, he likes to go for them big hits though. Yeah, <laughs> he hits the hit stick. Like he li- he plays like Madden, as does North Turner, as we found out. But he literally like when he lines him up, it's just like hit that right thumb, right mm-hmm. thumb stick, and and and. Hit and, stick. and it, and to go back to the most, the most underrated, the one that I should that I should have mentioned is another guy that I was that I doubted and has been as impressive as anybody is. That's Mario Addison. I mean, Mario has been as impressive as anybody on that de- defense, particularly when it comes to making impactful plays. Yeah, I don't know if he can be qualified as underrated. No, I, I mean he's led the team, led or led or tied the team for the lead in sacks the past three seasons. Like I think he, and maybe he is because he just kind of quietly does his job, and and now he's probably going to end up. My my thing that I would really like to see from Mario is for this to continue through the entire season. Now, obviously, he's probably not going to have twenty five sacks, but that'd be big if he did. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be nice. Big if true. Um, Luke might not win Defensive Player of the we'll Year. Give him all the awards, <laughs> every single one of them. But I think that didn't last year he had a bunch of sacks in the first three weeks of the season, and then he just kind of like fell off after a while. So I I think if he can keep that up, which I think he can, um, I, I think uh, I would like to see that from him. He has a goal. He wants said he wants to get to double digit sacks. I think if he gets to double digit sacks, then it's like yeah, good. Then then we have more questions of like, do we have to? Is this guy going to be back on the team next year? Yeah, and because with the, when we were talking about the three four, and it was like this is the guy that we don't know where he's going to have a place, and obviously it's been more hybrid, as Ron has um, re- repeatedly told us. Um, but for a guy that we thought may not have a spot on this roster to be to do it, do what he's doing, um, just tip of the cap to that guy. I don't think that. Sorry, I don't think there's a spot in the in in the show where we're going to talk about this specifically. But I really wanted to bring it up: the fact that Norv Turner and the offense ran the same running play like twelve times in the fourth quarter. They just consistently just handed handed it to either Christian McCaffrey or Reggie Bonifant on uh, on like that zone, that mid zone, right up the middle, and it just continually worked. And like that is the kind of thing where when we said playing Madden or when I said playing Madden, and then I teed myself up for this segment. Um, Like, that is, to me, that's what you want, is like, here's a play that's working. Let's just continue to run it until they they stop it. And they just, literally, they never stopped it. I mean, the 84-yard touchdown, the 59-yard touchdown, and then that 18-yard run where they were trying to burn the clock, those were all the exact same play call. And that, to me, is like, is, is kind of the, the good thing about what Norv Turner does is he set them up with the reverse where here comes Curtis Samuel coming around the side. We're going to toss it to him on the first play of the game. Oh, maybe we run reverses all the time. And then every time Curtis Samuel would go back behind on that zip motion, they had to respect it with a linebacker, would leave a hole up the middle, and then it's just touchdown city. And it was just, to me, it was like masterful play calling, and I loved it. And as easy as it sounds, there's a lot of coaches that won't do that, that won't go back to that well. Oh, we've already called that play. I'm going to call something else, prove I'm smarter. Who's you that know? an impression of? My offensive coordinator. So that was my chud impression. No, I don't know. I just <laughs> made that up. 
Um, let's take a break real quick. When we come back, we're already in London, but we'll look ahead to London. Oi! In this week's episode of the Carolina Line, we discuss a home win at Bank of America Stadium. Finally. Mm. Yeah, find out all about Reggie Bonifant. Uh-huh. Of course, CMC just absolutely electric in that defense does it again brian burns with a huge scoop and score mario addison still super and find out how not to get caught on an interception that would be me 53 yards got caught bless and his don't, heart don't get caught being around steve smith you're mm-hmm. gonna get a titty twister from him and it's gonna hurt and let me tell you in the locker room some of the things that go down in there you're not gonna believe i'm talking about two five-year-olds going at it gladiator style so oh tune in Oh, my goodness. Only here on the Carolina Line with Al Wallace and Kevin Donnelly. And I am Kelly Bardick coming to you every week. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are sold. Rate, review, and subscribe and give us feedback. We want to hear from you. Let's talk about the balance of this team, sort of like the complimentary football that's happening here. You know, you've got one week where – you got the offense that can't really get it done, and then your special teams defense come up big, and then the next week it's totally different on both sides. Josh, you want to talk about that a little? Oh, sorry, we're back. I was just oh. eat, busy eating some fish and chips. And um, how so was it? Gross. I don't like I don't like fish. <laughs> did why think, did I order it? Did it was you, a real mistake. <laughs> did you think you'd like it here? I do like did chips. You, did you know fish? Tastes similar to fish in North America. Fish in Europe tastes similar to fish in North America. Get out. They call the chips fries. Don't think that's backwards, right? <laughs> they call the fries chips. <laughs> and uh, should we just start this second part and over? The elevator again? is uh, a break. Elevators are lifts, and you don't want to know what a fanny is. In case you were wondering, Josh fits in really well here. Don't their cars have boots? <laughs> boots. What were we talking about? I don't know. The balance of the team? Toot it and boot it. Is that a thing? What's that? What's that? What is that reference? What does that mean? Toot it and boot it. Is that a song or a dance of some sort? I don't know. I'm looking to you you as a young person's reference. (laughs) Am I the young person? It's the parking authority, right? Isn't that what they do? (laughs) I believe it has more more fart talk. (laughs) Toot it. Okay, it is a song. Okay. It's by YG. Oh. Um,. It's a, uh, I'm trying Just to look a little up bit. like an urban dictionary. Oh, don't do that. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, no. All right. So complimentary football, I think, is going to be pretty important for the Carolina Panthers. What you what you saw from them a couple weeks ago is um, the Texans, they couldn't move the ball at all. Uh, their defense played spectacular. And then the Panthers' offense couldn't do anything, right? So the defense lifted up their team, and Joey Sly and their special teams lifted up their – you know, Sly was making everything that he could. And uh, and then this week against Jacksonville, their offense had to lift up their defense. Defense, for all the turnovers, they, they, got, they did get some timely turnovers, but at the same time, they gave up over 500 total yards. The first time in Panthers franchise history they've – won a game when giving up over 500 total yards. Special teams, Michael Pilardi was his usual MVP self, Michael V. Pilardi. That's a shirt. That's a good shirt right there. Um, but really Joey is. Sly, Joey except, Sly. Except that's a punter. <laughs> you don't think a lot of, you don't think people are going to buy that punter shirt? Punters are people too. I don't know why yeah. I got so fired up about it. You really did. It sounded weird too. Um, and Joey Sly couldn't hit 
I mean, obviously something was happening with Joey Sly and the the offense was like, oh, well, we'll just go out. And when I say offense, I mean Christian McCaffrey. We'll ju- I'll just go out and score 34 points. And 34 points was enough to win was how many they needed to win. But in reality, what Sly missed, two field goals. I guess one was blocked by Daryl Williams. Uh, and, and the one he missed, it felt like if he would have kicked it straight, it might have gotten blocked too. Like he mm. kicked away from a rusher and then went, went right. Right. I this was this to me at this point is a one off for for Sly. Like you I, think? Yeah, I do. I, I I think you you bounce back and if he and if he doesn't, well, then we're, we're going to be on to the then next one on, pretty yeah, quick. We're on kicker search yeah, two thousand. That's fine. And guess what? They're going to find a kicker that's going to make about sixty five seventy percent, and he's going to stink one game. Yep. It's, I mean that's and then, and then you're going to find another one. He's going to make sixty five seventy percent, and he's going to stink one game. So I I just you know what? Oh man, I don't know if I really want to um, announce this here. I think that this may have been my fault, and I'll tell you why. Um, Joey Sly came out of the tunnel. They introduced the special teamers uh, yesterday at the game, or uh, Sunday at the game. Which they did and, last year when yep. Gano hit the 63-yarder. Exactly. So, uh, And also, the last time that they had a fumble recovery for a touchdown was Colin Jones recovering it when they announced the special teams. So what, what a playmaker. They should do it. Yeah. you want You want points on the board. Get the ball in Colin Jones's hands. Um, I have a tattoo that says that. <laughs> Where? <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought on your tattoo. Uh, no, no. So, 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 Joey Sly came out uh, and was introduced, and he made a muscle because he's the swole kicker. And Kevin got a terrific picture of him making a muscle in the tunnel, and so. Um, we uh, just had like a hashtag swole over the top of it. And I had it like teed up and ready to go every time they brought him out there to kick a field goal. And I was like, here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to tweet this out and it's going to get so many internet points. And then he missed every single kick after I had that picture ready to roll. So I apologize to you guys, but I am not going to apologize for using that when he does make one in the future. Swole. <laughs> I mean, this 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 guy. It, look, if he if his confidence is completely shot after one week, then then it is what it is. But this was a special teams player of the month. Like you, you still have every reason to be confident. I, again, the, the first one got um, blocked. I have to think that impacts a kicker um, right. going forward. And again, they were they were on top of him for a, for a second time too. I, this was a a bad game for the kicking unit more than I thought it was a bad game for for Sly. That's fair. Uh, I mean, we'll see, right? He's yeah. a kicker, so if he misses two more, I, I'll tell you, if he misses then, a then kick we'll, in London, we'll be leaving him in London. Yeah, he ain't coming back, bro. Yeah, yeah. Call Lane Kiffin; he'll tell you how to get back. <laughs> he's, he, he's this is this happened to him too. Twice, it's yeah. happened to him twice, <laughs> not once, twice. Who which was is that, amazing? Who was that kicker from the replacements? The was he English or Scottish? Yeah. Right, he was a rugby, a soccer player for sure. Yeah. I don't remember who. I can't right. remember. Well, his name. this is a great reference. Leave it in. Well, just just edit yourself saying the name, and you can add it. Yeah. How about that? Absolutely. Perfect. I'll, I'll go ahead and Google it, and then sure I'll just I'll just say fine it. Englishmen around here know. Yeah, maybe so let me just ask them. Maybe just sure. ask somebody. Hey, do you guys know who the kicker is? It's Nigel Gruff. Oh, it's Nigel Gruff. Nigel Gruff. He's a Welsh footballer and pub owner, nicknamed the Leg. <laughs> the Leg. I love it. 
What about this offensive line and the injuries? Can we keep playing like this and kind of this? It's almost like a, a plug and play patchwork every week. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, if, yes until no, <laughs> right? Isn't that it? Like, I mean, that's you're that's gonna the keep, easy answer. Yes, until you cross the, uh, the the point where you have too many injuries, the point of no return. Um, as long as the weapons stay healthy, I think the offensive line is going to be serviceable. Didn't they do this literally this exact same thing last year? I mean, Chris Clark yes. was out there for what? a month before it kind of all started to fall apart. And when it fell apart, it fell apart real fast. But um, it, it was kind of like, I, rem- I mean, I remember writing like a misfit offensive line story yeah. and like whatever they would taught, whatever they were called. It was the Ravens game, right? Where they just ran it right down their throat. And it was like, that was with Chris Clark and Greg Van Roten and like guys that you just didn't expect to be out there. And yeah, I mean, Obviously, it's never ideal when you have to roll a sixth-round rookie out there for his first start ever at left tackle, um, but whatever. I mean, it, he got the job done. He was certainly serviceable at left tackle, um, which I'm not sure is something you could say for Daryl Williams. So I think Daryl plays better at right guard. So the question for me is going to be what happens when Trey Turner comes back and Greg Little is not back. So if Trey Turner comes back next – let's say – Let's say Trey is back next week for London. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's say he's back. Is Daryl Williams starting at left tackle, or is Dennis Daly starting at left tackle? These are questions that I have. I don't think there's any. I don't. I, I think Daly would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't boot him out of there. You I mean, wouldn't. I wouldn't. You wouldn't toot, toot him and boot him. I wouldn't toot him and boot him. No, just because. Hey, you put him in there. Ride him as long as I mean, not that he's a hot hand, so to speak, like he's a pitcher or a shooter or anything, but he he played well. I would keep sending sending him out there uh, because Williams at this point, and again, that, that was that felt more desperation than an honest belief that that Daryl Williams could play that position. Yeah, just kind of like a, let's hope that he can. Daryl, look, you're a great guy. You're a right tackle. We are screwing you. We are taking advantage of you. We're gonna put you over here on the left side, and you're gonna look bad, but. We think you're our best option. That's basically how the conversation should have gone down, I would think. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was I talked to him in the locker room, and he said he was like, I'm really glad to be back on the right side. And he feels comfortable there. And he said, I asked him kind of how he felt like he played at left tackle, and he was like, you know, I added it to my resume that I showed that I can play at left tackle. I think he did. He showed he can play there. He can play at right guard. I mean, a guy that can play at three positions is incredibly valuable, and he has shown now that he can play at three positions. I think that his best position is probably on the right side, whether it's at guard or tackle. And when Trey Turner comes back, Trey Turner is a better right guard than Daryl Williams, and Taylor Moten is probably a better right tackle. So I think that means you have whether, I mean, whatever. If you have a very expensive, very talented, overqualified swing tackle as your backup, is that the worst thing in the world? And every team is going to have a swing tackle. They may be set at you know right tackle, but every team. So like Daryl Williams, by being able to have that versatility, I think because that is probably where he ends up, whether it's here or or next. You know, maybe he does find a starting spot, but he very well could be one of those swing guys, and he'd be serviceable in that role, more serviceable you know at some positions than than others. But I think that is absolutely. That kind of how does Daryl Williams continue his NFL career even if not here? That would be the the way you do it. And guess what? He's already started five games. So if you think to yourself, well, like we're paying him a lot of money, if he 
if he starts three more games across the offensive line, whether due to injuries or you move people around, I mean, that's that's a good investment to me. And, and I think that he is he is a guy that is is a strong, serviceable offensive lineman, just maybe not a, a franchise left tackle. And they drafted Greg Little to be a franchise left tackle. Now, if you want to talk about Greg Little, I think – you could be worried if you wanted to be worried. I mean, they put Denora Searcy on IR for having two concussions in the span of 30 days last year. Greg Little has had two concussions in the span of 30 days. Whether or not it's two concussions, whether it's one concussion, the symptoms pop back up. Concussions are not something you want to mess around with. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just nervous the fact that we haven't seen him at practice, we haven't heard any sort of updates. It's just it's it's nerve it's nerve wracking. And I think with the specter of the buy, I think that's a lot of like, well, we'll just wait till after the buy. Mm-hmm. And that's when a lot of decisions are gonna get made, whether it's Greg Little, whether it's Cam Newton, whether it's Trey Turner, a lot of questions are gonna start to get answered once we get past this buy. And we've focused so much over the last decade as we've talked and tried to become smarter about these head injuries that a lot of the, the, the science suggests that it's not the big hits that we always end up focusing on. It is the smaller hits. And being in the trenches, that's where Greg, that's where you get those little hits time and time again. If for an offensive lineman, this is, this is just as scary as the Luke situation, if not more so for this young man, I think. Like I'm – there's no – worried about the draft capital any of that stuff this is just a young man now at this point that, that we Couldn't now have more. to be we have to be concerned with and, and and unfortunately he may never get to achieve what he wants on the fo- football field let alone what, what we hope to see two concussions in short order for a guy that plays that position um you, they've got to be extra careful you just got to yeah i mean not to not to like not to make it too like personal or emotional but like i the smile on that kid's face when he and i call him a kid because because he's 15 years younger than me and uh, he weighs 100 pounds more than me and could literally stomp me into the ground. Um, the smile on that kid's face when he was talking about how he was going to get to block J.J. Watt in Houston was just like, it was like infectious. And now to be like worried about whether or not he's going to be able to to be the kind of player, the kind of person that he wanted to be. It, it's just, it's it's a little bit heartbreaking. I know I don't want to jump the gun too fast, but... It's uh, it's tough. So maybe we'll uh, we'll just get real serious, and then we'll talk about fish and chips, tea and crumpets. What else do they serve in Ooh, Britain? What is a crumpet? Um, so what they serve cookie? with tea? It's like a cookie, right? Yeah, it's a cookie. Cookie. I don't know why, but I envision like a like a, a muffin or something. Uh, it's a small griddle cake f- oh. made from an unsweetened batter of water or milk. Oh, oh, that sounds gross. <laughs> no wonder none of us knew what it was. Yeah, it kind of looks terrible. like a little, it kind of looks like, uh, you know what it looks like is like the top of McGriddle. I don't know if you guys are familiar with McGriddles, but, oh. What was that? I don't know. I was oh. listening to something. But yeah, Let that was see. an authentic, uh, that's an authentic English crumpet. This is good radio right oh, here, it right? Looks, it looks like an English muffin. Yeah, that Isn't probably, that what an that probably makes like? more sense than the top of a McGriddle, but I a little bit of meant, both. Though. I knew what you meant. Let's look at this London game. Do the Panthers have international appeal? Uh, not yet. I th- oh. I I think they did if a, another player was playing quarterback for them. 
that maybe was playing quarterback for the first two games. I don't know why I'm being cheeky. Um, maybe it's because we're, we're in London. In London. Uh, I think if Cam Newton was playing, then perhaps they would have a little bit of international appeal. I think with Kyle Allen, yeah. I think Christian McCaffrey, while he may be an MVP candidate, yeah. I don't think Luke Keekley is like blowing up the charts. What? The London charts? Yeah, the London charts. I don't think. Uh, I don't think. It, yeah, I don't think he's like compared to Harry Styles. Is that a guy? That is a guy. There we go. Yep. I, I just don't. I, I think that yes and no. I think the way that the NFL is going into Europe, they have a lot of like, they're trying to push it, but it's like, it's just old school teams are always going to be the most popular right now. It's going to be like the Bears, the 40, whoever was popular in the 80s when the NFL first went to Europe, that's who people are going to like. They should like Jake DeLome though. Yeah. He played in NFL Europe. He did. Amsterdam Fire, is that right? The, the, yeah, I'm the baddest. It, that's when he rapped after the game. Because <laughs> I'm the baddest QB. Something like that. I think that was a line. Oh, it's man. A, it's that, in was, that was all you had? It's a, it, well, it's, it was a short little clip. but um, Something, something, I'm the baddest QB. I'll find the clip for it. We'll put it at the end of the episode. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's the end of this one. He was on the Ad- Amsterdam Admirals, Admirals. The Frankfurt Galaxy. Man, those what a crazy time the NFL Europe was. Did they like what did the crowds look like for NFL Europe? Modest. You know? I mean like they they were like probably 5 to 10,000. Was it like the was the NFL Europe what the MLS is like right now? And do we want an NFL Europe team here in Charlotte? Think about that. Uh I would say no. Um I I guess and maybe. No. No, well, no. I was just thinking about whether I was trying to think of the similarities. I don't think I think MLS has more talent. More like there was no Zidane, even like the older guys in NFL Europe. Well, there was a Jake Delhomme and a Kurt Warner. Yes, both prior to them going to the NFL. And Bubby Brister, I think, or Neil O'Donnell, maybe. I don't remember. Maybe, maybe. I, I'm doing my, a lot of googling on this show. I think that's what people like when there's huh. no guest. But I don't think they have. I don't think they have the international appeal. I think that's one of the reasons why they've made it a point and, and they made an emphasis for, for Tepper going forward that they want to, they want to grow this. I mean, this, this is an organization that has not wanted to be on hard knocks. That's not wanted to be in pretty much any kind of, you know, uh, Thursday night game, London game. They've, they've dodged these things. And so as a result, no, you don't have fans out there in a lot of cases. So this is a chance for them to, to get introduced to Keekley and, and CMC. Wow. Apparently, uh, William Refrigerator Perry tried to make a comeback in 1996 and played for the London Monarchs. Oh, I just thought of what uh, Nebraska legend running back played in the NFL Europe. <laughs> I think it was because he was not welcome anymore in, in the NFL. A legend? N- uh, Nebraska I, legend. I oh, boy. Well, Use the word legend carefully, I feel like. Uh, the guy that the guy that Tom Osborne uh, allowed to be on the team because he was really 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 good and everyone had to kind of just shake their head. I at think it. it was more of giving someone a second chance. <laughs> there it is. But well, but then yeah. we realized that he probably did that, not deserve yeah. a Lauren, second old, chance. Oh, Lawrence Phillips. Rest his soul wherever he may be. That's true. R.I.P. R.I.P. Some say Scott Frost is the person that broke him. We'll, we'll talk. We'll have that conversation right. later. <laughs> Josh is like, who are all these people? Dante Hall played in NFL Europe also. Human Joystick. Remember him? Oh. Man, wouldn't it be fun if the Panthers had a, a punt returner that was just like, I mean, I guess Steve Smith was that guy, right? Yes. Yeah. 
That's it. <laughs> End of sentence. Ray Ray McLeod is like big pl- is a. Uh, yeah, he just makes big plays. He's going to make a big play for somebody. It's either going to be for the Panthers or whoever they're playing. <laughs> Dante Hall also benefited from having a great, great, great run which, of, of a couple games and had the great return with the nine blocks in the back that yeah, made him look course. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys think or how, I guess, how will this London game affect kind of the team, their kind of style of play? What kind of Are we going to see some kind of difference? Well, I don't know. Do you feel um, do you feel jet lagged right now? Since yes. we are in London right now, I do. My podcasting does not feel up to par. It's probably why I was not nominated for an award, and Josh was. <laughs> Agreed. I think it has to, right? I, I think that it's I, gonna. I feel like we're gonna watch a really ugly game. Okay, but here's the way. I, here's the way I, I was preparing. I thought about this. Who do I think is going to be better prepared to play in this game? The Panthers. Or the Bucks, like who has more chance to have things go wrong? I feel like Ron Rivera and them are gonna are gonna keep it on the straight and narrow. I feel like at the Bucks, heck, they lost a guy before the Super Bowl. They could lose like a whole, you know, the whole secondary or something on this trip. Um, Bruce Arians went to London two years ago, so we'll see. I, I think the bigger question is the fact that the Bucks' offensive line is more decimated than the Panthers is. So that to me means a little bit more. Um, and revenge game for the Panthers. <laughs> I don't know why. What did, I don't know why they just cracked yeah, me up. They really yeah, got you. Like, yeah, they're playing the division twice this year. Ha-ha. <laughs> they get a chance to get revenge because they lost the first time. Either. You look so evil right now, too, as you laugh. Wow. Like, wow. Shots oh. fired. Whoa. Like he's trapped in London Tower. I think that was just, that was not me being evil. That was just me, dad, laughing, my dad joke, and just, just chuckling. Was that a joke? The revenge game? The notion of the revenge game because they lost to him a couple weeks ago? I guess. I mean, I mean yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't an attempted insight. <laughs> so <laughs> at least let me label it as something. The Gerald Gerald McCoy revenge game. I it was. Uh, it's like how do you try not to be a distraction for your team? Like when Gerald McCoy, like when they were playing the Bucks, that was all anybody could talk about was Gerald McCoy, Gerald mm-hmm. McCoy, Gerald McCoy, Gerald McCoy. And then this week, I'd imagine, as we've probably already seen, it's all just fa about fa about fa about fa about And it's like how do you? I, I don't know. I've never been an NFL player. I've certainly never been a distraction. I'm, I'm very easy to work with. Um, uh, I don't like. How do you not be a distraction for your team? That's a real question that I don't think we have an answer for. What do you mean? Like the fact that he's getting asked questions? The fact that they're being? I don't know. Like, do, does like? That do you even... think they think they should have left FA at home? Like he's that kind of a distraction? No, I don't. I mean, well, I, mean, I don't just... think that. No, I'm. I'm serious. Like. I, I I think a lot of times guys will say, like, in that locker room, they'll say, well, you guys consider it a distraction. We don't consider it a distraction. And I wonder if that's the case. Like, right. if they're just like, yeah, it doesn't matter to us. Anytime I feel like there's a spotlight or a, a storyline, especially when they're pushing a narrative pretty hard, I think it can't help but be a distraction. I think it just kind of – the important part about it is that distraction will always be there. It's how does the team react? Do they get affected by it or do they not get affected by it? Do they move on just like it's – another day and they're doing their job or that's how you let that distraction. I think maybe sometimes distraction is the wrong word, but it's the word that we all call it. I don't feel like you have distractions when you've won three in a row. Generally. 
<laughs> like everything's okay, right? Like the, the other stuff becomes a distraction when you're losing, right? Yeah, I mean that's uh, true. Joey Sly is only a really big deal if they'd have lost. Yeah, if they had lost by three, it would be like, well, you got to find a new kicker. This week, it's like, well, let's give him another shot. <laughs> He was so good. He was so good. They kick a lot of balls in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, so I think he's going to be okay. Marty's having him turn in his special teams of the the month trophy. Like, all right, well, taking that back away now. This was your your get out of jail free, Joey. Where do you guys rank Kyle Allen right now in terms of backup quarterbacks? Eighth. (laughs) I don't know. I just... uh, The correct answer is seventh. I think he's pretty good. Um... I mean, I think he's showing that he can lead this team to victory, which is what you want your backup quarterback to do. And um, I think the bigger question is, like, is he in danger or not in danger? Danger is not the right word, but is he – could he theoretically put Will Greer out of a job by playing like this and then – being the be- either the backup quarterback or the quarterback of the future. I put the quotes around it so it doesn't really count um, for the Carolina Panthers. But if he is the backup quarterback, what's Will Greer doing? Finding a job with his brother's YouTube channel. Shopping at the Mall of Honor? <laughs> I, I, I think Allen has been every bit as good as DA ever was mm-hmm. for this team. And for a guy that's coming in and starting like that, like that to me is, you know, we went from having D.A. is the veteran, we know what we're getting out of him, to having a guy like this, and I think he's been every bit as good. So, Yeah, I mean, this is what you want out of your backup quarterback, and I think we we have been pretty staunch here that this is Cam, or I have anyway, that this is Cam Newton's team until he proves that it's not. And I don't think he's proven that it's not. I don't think that Kyle Allen has has come in. I think if he'd have thrown four touchdowns every game, then uh, all right, like I'm, I'm, I'd be more willing to have the conversation. I think, yeah, it's cool that he's four and zero with no interceptions, the first undrafted free agent quarterback since former Amsterdam Admiral Kurt Warner to do it. Um, but he also has what a million fumbles, so it's like. A million and one. Yeah. That, and that's just it. As long as he's going to be chasing, <laughs> trying to track down Cam's career fumbles and, and you know, in like eight-week mark here, um, then he's going to he's gonna remain a backup quarterback. And that's know. fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong no. with that. Right. Good. No. I mean, good backup quarterbacks, like good swing tackles, are valuable, are a valuable asset. I think probably the bigger storyline around it is the fact that it's it's not – we're winning because of Kyle Allen. The way the rest of the team, just like you talked about, the complimentary football – you got defense stepping up. You got offense stepping up one week to bail out the defense. It's just a little bit of everything. It's not just because Kyle Allen has come in and taken the reins here. And I do think if Cam were healthy, then you probably see CMC's production or come down a little bit. Not necessarily production, but just attempts and things like that. Yeah. And I think I think because you have a backup quarterback in there, I think that they are even more reliant on CMC. So that's an interesting question. If Cam comes back after the bye. Do you think that that means less carries for Christian McCaffrey, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I mean, it, it, man, there were th- what? How many hypotheticals were in that yeah, question? There's a, there's a lot of. If I mean, this happens, and also if this happens, and if that happens, is that good? In this scenario, is Cam Newton one hundred percent? 
real like full blown one hundred percent or one hundred percent twenty nineteen Camden? What's his donut situation? A lot of donuts. We I can't even believe we haven't talked about donuts in this show. It's my fault. It's not even cam related. I just got we just have donut takes. They call them they call them crisps. They don't. I don't know what they call them. <laughs> Let's see what they call donuts in London. More Googling. It's not a crumpet. We know that. No, it's not. It's like a top of a, I don't know, top of McGriddle. That's what I said. A McGriddle. Do they still make McGriddles? Oh, they spell donuts differently. It's D-O-U-G-H. Donuts. Donuts? I'll have a donut with me tea. That was pretty good. I lost it at the beginning of the sentence, but then I got it back, I thought. Yeah. Pretty good. Good save. Flea bag. <laughs> Are we ready for a game yet? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Game yeah. time? Yeah. All right. We will call this one top five. Keekly named the five toughest players he'd ever faced. Who do you think is the toughest player in Panthers history or toughest opponent? Yeah. Toughest opponent. I like the, I like toughest opponent. Let's go there. Okay. Um, first of all, before we get into toughest opponent, were you surprised by what Luke Keekley had to say in that Players Tribune article? As far as what elements of it? I don't know. Uh, Just who? Who were you surprised at how? elegantly he was able to tap into my mind by saying i know you're just going to scroll down and see who i see who i wrote and then scroll back up here and then you're not even going to read what i wrote which is literally exactly what i did nice job luke (laughs) so (laughs) even even when it comes to writing he can he can read the the offense ahead of time (laughs) (laughs) um so he had this here he had breeze wilson alvin kamara alex mack and then is it Kelsey? Travis Kelsey? Were the were the were the five? Jason Kelsey. Jason, Jason yeah. Kelsey. Yeah. Sorry, I got my Kelsey's confused. Um, I absolutely think that Breeze and Wilson are are on the list. Like as a, as a Panther fan, um, I've just we've watched Russell Wilson do incredible things. We've watched Drew Breeze do incredible things. I th- have to think though. Then Panthers history number one is and remains Michael Vick. He is like legitimately when he got hurt. The Panthers locker room started believing they had a chance that season. And that season they went to the Super Bowl. Well, when we say toughest, are we talking about like tough like toughest like well, I don't if, play No, no, no. Guy. How about this? How about you read Luke's piece and then we'll use his description of toughest? All right, hang on for no. one second. Let me just do it. He said he said the guys that are hardest to play. Click, click clack click 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 clack clack. I think um Julio Jones would probably be at the top of my list. Uh Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those guys where it's literally like I mean, obviously there was the there was the big the big one, but he's just a guy that you're just I'm I personally am terrified of every time that he goes on the field. I just think that he is magical to watch. Like just He's just open. Majestic? Yeah, majestic. He's like a gazelle running free. He is, he's just like open all the time. Like, he's one of those guys that I never understand how they get open. It's like, um, like Steph Curry. A lot of times they'll like swing the ball, and it's like, how do you lose? How do you lose Curry in the corner? Like, how is Clay Thompson open for a throw? Like, how are these guys open? How is Julio Jones running free behind the defense? Like, how is that possible? And it hap- happens all the time. And it's, I mean, he's one of, if not the best, uh, in my mind, he's the best wide receiver in the NFL now that um, someone has gone crazy. And I think that 
the fact that the Panthers have to play him twice, even though they have the the Julio stopper in Bradbury, I think that he's just it's just terrifying. You just never know when he's going to come alive. And if I'm on the other team, I'm just I don't know how to stop him. We watched him three weeks ago on that touchdown run. He clocked at 20 miles per hour, like a gazelle. Like like a gazelle. It was insane. He's he's someone you're terrified to play. Like a lima. That was a British person just yelling something. And you mentioned you mentioned him running free, and instantly I just flashed back to Larry Fitzgerald too. Just from the the 08 playoff game, just run, still still wide open, still yeah, so eleven weird. years eleven years later, still open in the middle of the field. I don't understand how. Uh, the other the other name that I think deserves to mention uh, is Michael Turner. And really, mm. he's kind of representative of him, work done, Deuce McAllister. But but Michael Turner was – he was an absolute load. And when when he was the running back for Atlanta, it just felt like every time they needed third and short, they got. Remember when he was the backup to LaDainian Tomlinson forever? Like, mm-hmm. he was the guy that it was – he was a big fantasy handcuff. Like, you had to go in in, like, the ninth round if you had LaDainian Tomlinson and get Michael Turner. That's the end of my – and then Atlanta Sentence. signed him because of because of that exact because of that yeah and then reason. and then all of a sudden it was like oh he's actually good he's not just I mean so many times we see these guys that are just like their backups and they're like when this guy gets on the when Billy Volek gets on the field it is going to be touchdown city and then it's like oh no he stinks he's a backup for a reason <laughs> and I think that is not what happened with Michael Turner and um pretty cool how many teams. If they were writing this article, how many teams put Luke Keekley in their top five? Uh, I can name three right off the top of my head that certainly would. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you would imagine. Certainly, if you're making a list of smartest players, I think Luke Keekley is going to come in number one every uh, on everybody's list, right? I mean, non-lineman. maybe not number one. Non-lineman. Sure. Is Matt Burke's retired now, right? The old yeah. Princeton. Uh, GVR. He also is from an Ivy League school, so he's pretty darn smart. And he would not let you forget it. Ivy League till he dies. And then there's another guy on the practice squad. Van Ruten to. (laughs) Is that a shirt? (laughs) Let's give them all some sort of Scantron test they have to take. Not the SAT. I wonder what we could call that test. Wonder. I wonder, man. I wonder. Let me lick my finger and think about this. <laughs> Boy, Nick, that's a great idea. Oh, I think I they should definitely do that. Wonderlic, and I'll read this. Hey, mate, you're talking about the Wonderlick test. They talk Frank Gordon's and terrible on it. It's going to fall. I, first of all, we shouldn't I have love drank. your interaction with the crowd. What? Nicky? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love the fans in London. Cheers! <laughs> They're all wearing Roaring Riot gear here, which is incredible to see. Royal Riot! Oi! It's me, Ollie! <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Right. Josh, where can the uh, the children and folks and everyone at home find you on the internets? Well, you can find me in London um, on my deck. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I you can follow me on Twitter at Josh Klein rules. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
you guys may not know this, but many times when I say Josh Klein rules, Nikki uh, makes the devil horns and, and makes a face. And it's fun for me every time. <laughs> That's usually why I pause after I say my Twitter handle is Josh Klein rules. Um, also, while we're plugging stuff, I would encourage you to uh, make sure you're following along the Riot Report um, and also just Roaring Riot. There are 800 Panther fans um, in London over the course of this week and over the weekend and the Instagram is just going to be incredible. Um, some really cool like surprises and things that are happening. And, uh, one of the things that is happening is, uh, the roaring riot foundation is, um, uh, partnering not partnering They're They are making their experience this year. They're bringing, um, chancellor and Sandra Adams over to London and to the game and, providing them with uh, like this incredible experience and something that I'm really looking forward to seeing and, and being a part of. And, um, and they've got some cool stuff uh, that's going to happen for them. So I would encourage you to, if you're not already, which would be weird, but make sure you're following Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of those things, Roaring Riot and the Riot Report. That's it. Those are my plugs. Colin. I'm just going to get rid of this jet lag, um, and then I'll probably check Twitter after that, uh, at Colin CLT. I I had to fly a red eye. It was, just, it was tough. I'm going to bed. I'm tired. Uh, Nikki704 on Twitter. What like about said, the um, the beer? Why don't, why don't they serve those beers cold? Are we just going to talk about, like, random, um, like, British things that that is just like stand-up comedy from the 90s. It's like, they serve beer warm here. I don't understand it. Okay. Ah, that's it. That's the end of my day. That's all I got. I don't have nothing else. Nothing else? Nope. That's it? That's it. See you.